This video is brought to you by Devout Decals, makers of reusable Catholic art for your home altar, your bedroom, and your home classroom. Remember how I warned you not long ago that not long after he was gone, we should expect to see Benedict XVI's name used to endorse all manner of evil things that he in life opposed. It's actually come to pass, and faster than I anticipated, to be honest with you. But we now have that happening. And I say that as someone who exactly doesn't take Benedict to have been the greatest defender of tradition or Catholic orthodoxy either. Certainly, there are issues that many have brought up with Benedict's theology and his own role in working with secular authorities for their evil plans. But by comparison to Francis, he was a voice of sanity in the church, and he certainly opposed certain evils in the world, such as what we have to call around here the uh, James Martin sin. You know, that one sin the world is so strangely focused on right now and all sorts of weird variations on it. And that even more strangely, Father James Martin S.J. is very focused on. In fact, his name has become synonymous with it. Pastor Jimmy Martin has an unhealthy fascination and focus on one particular sin that cries out to heaven for vengeance, according to sacred scripture. And now the prelates of the church and their leading voices among the laity are getting ready to try to change the church's teaching on that sin. And now they've recruited Benedict XVI to their cause by inserting words into his mouth. Francis gave one of his typical airline pressers on his trip back from Africa, and he laid out this bombshell for the media. This comes from the official translation by Diane Montagna, which she shared on Twitter. So, without, for, without any further interruption from me, quote, On this point, I would like to say that I was able to talk about everything with Pope Benedict, even to change opinion. He was always by my side, supporting. And if he had any difficulty, he would tell me and we would talk. There were no problems. Once I talked about the marriage of the James Martin crowd, the fact that marriage is a sacrament and we cannot make a sacrament, but there is a possibility of securing property through civil law, which started in France. Any person can enter a, a union of this kind, not necessarily a couple. Old ladies who are retired, for example, because so many things can be gained. A person who thinks he is a great theologian, through a friend of Pope Benedict, went to him and complained against me. Benedict wasn't frightened. He called four top theological cardinals and said, explain this to me, and they explained it. And that's how the story ended. It is an anecdote that shows how Benedict moved when there was a complaint. Some tell stories that Benedict was bitter about what the new Pope did. They are game of telephone stories. Benedict, indeed, I consulted him for some decisions to be made. And he agreed. He agreed. I think Benedict's death was instrumentalized by people who want to draw water to their own mill. And those who instrumentalize such a good person, such a man of God, almost, I would say, a holy father of the church, I would say they are unethical people. They are people of a party and not of the church. You can see all over the place the tendency to make parties out of theological positions. These things will fall on their own, or if they don't fall, they will go on as has happened so many times in the history of the church. I wanted to say clearly who Pope Benedict was. He was not a bitter man. End quote. What we saw there was Francis saying he talked Benedict in supporting the secular parody of the nuptial sacrament for people of the James Martin type for property concerns. It's kind of weird how that only comes out after Benedict isn't around to correct the record. The rest, the game of telephone comment and his calling people partisan ideologues, was a dig at Archbishop George Gonsvine, whom 
Francis says, isn't part of the church since he was trying to co-opt Benedict for ideology. That's definitely a case of the pot calling the kettle black at the very best, if not blatant hypocrisy and gaslighting at the worst, since there is no way that Benedict would be okay with such sins and the church being involved in making such sins seem normal. But all of that happened against the backdrop of an incessant clanging of modernist voices calling for the church to change her teaching on the James Martin sin. What makes this different than any other day in the church is this. The leading voices are all those very close to Francis, men who've written biographies about him, men who speak for him in the English-speaking world, and men that he has recently elevated to some of the highest offices in the church. When they speak, they know that they are speaking for Francis, and they've said some pretty bizarre things, things that are not Catholic in the slightest on this particular issue. Case in point, Austin Ivory is a professional Francis fanfiction writer. Officially, he's a writer who has the officially sanctioned biography of Francis that I've been refer referring a lot lately to here on this channel. The book is called The Great Reformer, and the first edition of that book gave away way too many details about Francis's methods, his schooling, and his deep ties to the infamous Argentinian regime of the 1960s and 1970s, which was then casually edited out of the book in future editions. Get a first edition to read it for yourself if you can find it. I have one, and it's extremely illuminating. Anyway, Mr. Ivory is one of the main figures running the Continental Meeting of the European Bishops for the Synod on Synodality, and he was talking about the James Martin sin on Twitter. Now, Mr. Ivory has me blocked, but Edward Fieser, a very much mainstream and restrained Catholic journalist, tweeted a screenshot of this mess out. So here we see Mr. Ivory claiming that the church's teaching on the James Martin sin has been rejected by the faithful, and will, as a consequence, be changed soon. Quote, It will probably disappear from the next edition. The Catechism of the Catholic Church is not static. There have been many changes over the years, which have followed on from incremental developments by popes or Vatican dicasteries. End quote. Now, as Mr. Fieser notes, that's delusional thinking on Ivore's part, because the Catechism is supposed to be a sure guide to the faith. At least it should be delusional thinking. But we are in the midst of a full and unrelenting assault, frankly, on the moral teachings of the Church on numerous fronts, with this front being the highest profile of them all. For example, Cardinal McElroy, as another example of a person who is someone whom he speaks we should listen because he's telling us what's coming, Cardinal McElroy wrote, wrote an article two weeks ago for America Magazine, the Jesuit rag, on which the church's teaching on the James Martin sin is ready to be changed, apparently. This article caused such a stir that America Magazine's editors reached out to him for further comment. And this comment is from the latest article released on February 3rd, which details their sort of on-the-cuff interview with him. Quote, The essay I wrote recently for America is part of a trilogy. Last year, I wrote a piece in America on the questions, what is the culture of synodality? What is the direction of this? Where is the Holy Father pointing us to go as a church and to be as a church? This is the second, which is on inclusion. And the next month, I have one that, sorry to tell you, is going to be in common wheel. It is looking at the synodal dialogues that occurred in the United States and asking what that says about the major elements of synodality, where they're lived out, and where we need to work harder. 
those three things need to be taken in context in terms of understanding. What I'm trying to say is that synodality is a process that is crucial. It, it's a culture, and it's a spiritual endeavor. That's the first piece. The second piece is on inclusion. That's a very difficult, polarized area within our own society now, and it's true within the life of the church. After our small group synodal meetings in San Diego, where Cardinal McElroy is the local bishop, not archbishop, which is even stranger, we did a survey about 27,000 people here in San Diego of Catholics on a range of issues. Three of the questions were on inclusion. Those were the most highly polarized results that we got. So it was a very volatile area because it touches deeply in human hearts and people's worldviews. End quote. Inclusion. Now, it's worth noting here that the church has said that the church is open to everyone. Every human being is invited and prayed for to become Catholic as long as they repent of their sins, lay down their lives before the cross of Christ, pick up their cross, follow Christ, and enter his church and live by the laws of God and his church. When they stumble and fall, make use of the sacraments to get back in good standing with the church. Anyone can do this. But here's the thing. Inclusion means this weird obsession the world has now with the flesh. Either with what the flesh looks like and perceived hate based on the appearances of the flesh, or people identifying with those sins that James Martin is so focused on that they let their very identities be formed by their sins. That is what he means here. He goes on to say as much, too. The church, according to this view, must adapt to the secular, progressive worldview, where such sins are normalized by the church, and the worldview in particular is accepted as the church's worldview. It gets baptized by the church. In fact, I suspect that the driving ideology behind such, such obsessions with the flesh and the material is the real focus here. And that has to do a lot to do with power relations in the political realm. And that the sins James Martin is so focused on are just a happy consequence of that focus if it gets normalized. This is about the church being put at service of secular powers. The gospel stands in the way of the authorities of this world who push their own false gospel. And like all false gospels, it stands in opposition to Christ and his church and the cross. McElroy and indeed the rest of the modernists are instrumentalizing those with James Martin-type inclinations for their own purposes. They do this while also twisting Benedict XVI to their own ends, as we have seen with Francis. McElroy in his article a couple of weeks ago did the same thing. And now we see the real game here. They want those sins normalized. They want the church to endorse that parody of the nuptial sacrament offered by the world under the name of a union. And they say as much. The following comes from Cardinal McElroy's article in America Magazine. Quote, The effect of the tradition that all acts of the flesh suitable to the marital state outside of marriage constitute objectively grave sin has been to focus the Christian moral life disproportionately upon activities of the flesh. The heart of Christian discipleship is a relationship with God the Father, Son, and Spirit, rooted in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. The Church has a hierarchy of truths that flow from this fundamental charisma. Activities of the flesh, while profound, does not lie at the heart of this hierarchy. Yet in pastoral practice, we have placed it at the very center of our structures of exclusion from the Eucharist. This should change, end quote. People embroiled in sin should have access to the Eucharist, in plain English. 
Their focus on the flesh is more than bizarre. It's revealing of their own errors, of their own heresies, of their own strange inclinations, by the way. And I should put everyone on notice that they advocate for things that cannot be advocated for according to the laws of the church. They must believe that sacred scripture is wrong about such sins to have reached this conclusion. James Martin himself has said as much, saying on record that St. Paul was wrong in his condemnations of such activities. Any advocacy for the church to soften its language on such sins is itself a rejection of the gospel message. And now they're using Benedict XVI's name to make it more palatable to those who still have a sense of the faith in them. Now, what do you think about all this? Is this only the beginning of them co-opting Benedict's name for their own twisted ends? Should we expect to see more of this in the future? Should we just get used to the idea that Benedict XVI's name is going to come up over and over again in advocacy for things that he never advocated for, in opposition to his own work? Let me know in the comments, please. Like and subscribe if you haven't. It does help. As does sharing this on social media. That helps a lot, too. As always, pray for the church. I'm Anthony Stein. Ave Maria.